Hey everyone, thanks for clicking whatever button you clicked on to get here. This is episode 3 of Kind Words, and I'm very thrilled you're here with me today. Welcome! It is August 20th, 2019. A beautiful Tuesday afternoon at 1.40 p.m. Um, I'm sitting here in my room. It is... It's been a good day so far. It's been a weird day. Um, one of those days where not everything is going as... Nothing is going as planned, to be f- fair. That's okay. Some days are like that. Some days are going to be stressful or weird... But that doesn't mean they're not worth it and beautiful, and there's still good moments even among the bad moments. So anyway, um, today I want to talk about something a little outside of my comfort zone. I want to talk about God and salvation and my my path that I've taken up to this point. My walk with God hasn't been extremely conventional, but everyone experiences their own walk and their own journey in their own personal way. So I am a Christian, and I do believe in Christ, and I do believe in God, but I'm not someone who grew up in the church. I grew up playing music and surrounded by artists and free thinkers, and I have a family who's very spiritual and looks at things through the lens of love and connectivity and God, and we tend to be a little bit new agey at times, but we do all believe in Christ for the most part. Growing up with this attitude around my house had a lot of positive effects on me and it also allowed me to fall in the trap of thinking all religions are kind of dumb there is higher power it is connect connective but why look into doctrines that are thousands of years old why live life with other people telling you how to live life or what to believe in i also had a lot of idols growing up too i had a lot of uh, musicians who i just thought were the coolest people in the world, the most spectacular, amazing, just people that they could achieve the things they did, write the music they did, move the world like they did. And I still, I still am very impressed by what some of those people have have achieved or created, but I have a little bit better of an understanding of how they got there. When I was listening to a lot of these records or watching the documentaries of these rock stars who I looked up to, one message I kept getting was how important it is to be free and to do whatever you want or <laughs> live your life in excess, fucking party, whatever it is. Um, and I looked up to that. I thought that was oh so cool. I'm not going to... When I was a kid, it was like, I'm not going to just go to school and then go to college and be like everyone else and get a lame fucking corporate job. I I didn't want that. I dreaded that. I have ADHD. I couldn't focus like that. So it seemed like the best thing in the world to just put my middle finger up and be like, I want something else. And I want music and I want this lifestyle. And these people did it. I'm going to do what they did. Little did I know that pursuing that path and um, that lifestyle 
it would lead me to a crossroads, and I'll I'll get there in a little bit, but a little more backstory to all of this. So when I was about the age of 12, I remember just hitting this point. I was very depressed with a lot of things going on in my life, going on in my home, whether it be my parents getting a divorce, whether it be years of bullying at school. I told, I started telling people around me, if I'm not as famous as Kurt Cobain when I'm 27, I'm going to kill myself. And that's a rough fucking thing for a 12-year-old to think And I just remember thinking about it logically, like, that's the only thing that matters. That's the only thing I I want out of this life. And as I got older, it did tone down, but that just ruthless drive for fame to be noticed, whatever it was, um, it really did drive me in my actions and kind of derailed me from a order-filled life, which is okay in some sense, and I've made a lot of great memories going down the path that I have, but it wasn't the best thing for me, and it wasn't something that was leading to a life of love or (laughs) peace or happiness or serving other people. It was more of a narcissistic pursuit of a goal. Still, at the age of um, 12 to 15, I was in and out of different bands, really, really just driving and loving it, loving playing music with friends, loving fitting in with the community that, I guess, saw the world in a similar fashion that I did. So the first real band I started playing in, our name was Seven Dead, um, with the seven as the V instead. And um, we, I was in that band for about a year and a half, and those guys became some of my best friends. They're sweet fucking dudes. I really... I love all of them, but I was acting out. I was getting high. I was getting drunk all the time. I'm going into, I want to say, freshman year of high school, and this continues on until about sophomore year of high school. So at this point, um, my parents, other people in my life are kind of freaking out about how I'm acting, and which is fair. I was I was off the rails. I was stoned. Every day I was drunk all the time. I was getting drunk and going to school, which is not a good thing. I never got caught for that, but it all did catch up to me eventually. Around 2015, at the beginning of 2015, my parents decided it would be the best option to send me to a therapeutic boarding school slash kind of rehab out in... Rosarito, uh, Baja, California, which is in Mexico. And <laughs> that was that was quite a moment in my life because I didn't know what the hell was going on. I didn't know. I kind of, to be honest, it was this thing like, oh, maybe I'm going to be the, the kid that goes to rehab or whatever, and I'll have a story, and it will be three months, and I'll be back, and I guess wrong. <laughs> I got sent there, and um, this program is something that you have to work your way out of. And you don't know when you're leaving. Your parents don't know when you're leaving. They um, they tell your parents when you're ready to go, when they decide you've earned it. About, um, I think they tell them like two to three weeks before you leave, and they tell you the morning that you leave, that you're leaving. Which is a trip. 
But anyway, I get to this this boarding school, and I've kind of had a loss for words. Here in my head, I'm thinking I'm going to some like nice cushy LA rehab, and there's gonna be horses, and it's on the beach, and um, it's this huge property with a bunch of kids, and you just kind of hang out and. No, uh, <laughs> it's about 50 kids on one acres of land, and it is on the beach, but that almost makes it worse, because the whole place is surrounded by fences. Um, you're not allowed to go down to the beach, and you're not allowed to leave watch of a guard or a supervisor 24-7. Even while you're sleeping, they have people walking up and down the hallways with a flashlight, making sure you don't try to escape, which is crazy looking back on it. But it was it was quite the adventure. So I'm there for about nine months. And uh, I worked my way out. I tried my best to just work on the stuff that I had to work on and make a genuine change. Because I wanted it. I didn't want to be the kid that was always drunk or high or angry. or And I, I had a lot of frustration built up. and But I still... I still wanted to help other people and uh, live a life that was happy and have a good relationship with my parents. and uh, So I start doing the work there. And while I'm there, I have this friend named Andrew. He basically gets there um, a week before I get there. Um, we hit it off, we become really good friends, and we're just kind of experiencing this journey together. Andrew, um, he grew up Christian, and he believes in God, and he believes in Christ. And at that point, I'm pretty much atheist, I kind of close my mind to anything that's other than what's my experience right in front of me, if that makes sense. So Andrew starts talking to me about God and about God's plan and God's path and Christ and telling me all these things. And I start I start wanting to believe in God and I start wanting to follow Christ and so I go, okay, I'm going to be a Christian, and I ask God to come into my life, and I say, I'm a Christian now. The thing about that, and I wasn't ready for this, is if God was real in my mind, if God was real and if Christ was real, all that other stuff that comes along with it is real as well. Hell, Satan, evil, demons, whatever. And I'm a very sensitive person to all of those things. I'm very, um, it's, I started freaking out and worrying about all those things and I wasn't mature enough in my belief in any sense to feel secure if those things were real so it was a lot easier for me to cover it up and be like oh none of this is real it doesn't make sense it doesn't I don't know it doesn't mean anything because it's not real it's just all pretend and I just kind of block that out of my mind and I didn't want to deal with that. I didn't want to deal with any of that stuff. Because it is scary. It is a lot. Especially when you're a kid. And it's not just, oh, this is how we were created. This is this book. This is outlined. No, it's like hell, demons, God, Jesus, whatever. It's it's a lot. And I was out of the country. I wasn't surrounded by a lot of people that I knew well or my family or... I wasn't grounded in any, any sense. I was grounded <laughs> in the sense that I was on lockdown, but I wasn't grounded in a reality that I knew or some place I, 
necessarily felt safe in. So it went on like that for a while. And it's like, I'm not going to think about this stuff. I'm just going to work on what can make me a better person while I'm here. And as a side note, the the biggest thing I kind of realized when I was there is that the world doesn't owe me shit and that I was very entitled growing up and it's it's something it, it's something of importance to keep a perspective of how other people live their lives and that if something doesn't go my way it, it wasn't owed to me it's it's okay it's okay to not always get everything i want and i grew up in um Danville California and if any of you guys know where that is or what that place is like it's a very rich community in the bay area and it's a bubble and when you're growing up there you just you just think that's what life is you think oh everyone has these huge houses and fancy cars and they all went to the fanciest schools and that's just life that's how it is and then when you step outside that bubble it's a shock it's a good shock it's something that allows a different perspective into your life and you can maybe change how you see things. But going from Danville to Mexico was quite a culture shock and I'm so grateful for it. And I'm so grateful that my parents put their foot down and went, okay, this is what you're doing. You've been fucking up too long now. It's time to change your life and get things back together. So coming back from Mexico, I, I was entering my junior year. I was about a month or two late because I came back in, I, th- I want to say, end of September, mid-September, something like that. And I come back, and I'm back with all my friends at my old high school. And I'm back in the music community that I was in, but I'm no longer playing with the group I was playing with. And it's, it kind of feels like a fresh start. I'm happy. I'm healthy for the first time in a long time. I'm grounded in a sense. And... Life is good. I'm really grateful for just all the things that I didn't have when I was gone. Something as small as, like, we weren't allowed to have ice in our drinks, um, which is a funny thing. But going back and having ice, I was so appreciative of that. And I was so appreciative of all the friends back in my life, the freedom to go hang out, the freedom to, I don't know, go to sleep when I wanted to go to sleep, um, and just to be in a normal high school situation again. So at that point, I uh, I started another band, this one called Sad Vegan, with some of my good friends. And we were doing that, and it was a great time. I really I really loved it. But after about um, eight to nine months, I'd say, and a couple lineup changes, it shifted from this thing of, oh, we're just, I'm just playing with some of my really close friends and doing this thing I love to, no, this is my dream, and... This is my singer's dream as well, and we're going to just kind of drive forward with an attitude of, like, let's approach this like this is going to be our jobs, our career. We tried to get a manager when we were 16. Um, We did a PR campaign to get in magazines, and we got offered a record deal from a small indie label from the Midwest, which is a cool thing at um, 16, 17. Um, But... At this point in my life, I kind of was realizing, like, I'm going about this wrong in some way. And actually, to be fair, I didn't realize that until 
kind of looking back, but I stepped into another band in the local scene with people who just did it completely differently than I was doing it. They were playing music with, um, it was two brothers and one of their other childhood best friends. And the band was called Kilroy. And um, the the singer Max, he just, he loved what he did. He was really genuine about his pursuit. It was more about connecting with people and playing music from the heart and using music as a tool of artistic expression. Whereas I was going about it like, this is going to be my dream. I'm going to drive at this thing and do whatever it takes to achieve what I want to achieve, which to me looked like getting a record deal and playing on big tours. And I thought you did that by getting Facebook likes or getting followers on Instagram. Whereas my friend Max was approaching this whole thing as this artistic expression of like love and anger or whatever it was. And he was doing it and people were responding to it. People loved Kilroy songs. They were singing it. They were singing them back to him in the crowd. And that was crazy because we were 16, 17 and we weren't really seeing that with um, local bands. So at that point I decided not because of that, because of a lot of different reasons and different dynamics. I started filling in for Kilroy when their bassist left to go to college. And after a while I decided, okay, I'm going to do this full time. I'm going to leave Sad Vegan, even if it's my like artistic <laughs> pursuit, my baby, something I've worked on for years. And I did love, and it wasn't all, it wasn't just bullshit. It wasn't just like commercial expression. I was best friends with some of those people. I was best friends with all those people at that point and still best friends with some of them to this day. Um, it just wasn't the right thing for me anymore at that time. And I jumped out. I jumped into Kilroy. Um, so now my life's changing again. Um, I like it, though. It's it's something different. And Max is someone who really, for the next year and a half, really continues to challenge my perspectives on what music is, what art is, what life is. And I think I do the same to him. And we find a good balance in between our polar opposites. And each brings something to the table that the other one couldn't. So around... September of 2017, I, after I graduated high school, I'd been in a relationship for about, uh, I think, eight or nine months, and this relationship was very, very codependent and not healthy for either person, and just kind of, I had put all my identity onto this girl, and that's never good to begin with, but um, we were kind of at this decision point. She decided she wanted to go to school at UW, and I decided, oh, I'll go up to Seattle, and we'll we'll keep dating, and it will work out, and it's fine. We'll make it work. So that was the plan, and then we both got up there, and we broke up in the first three days. So <laughs> this is quite a shock when I'm 18 years old and living in Seattle. I'm attending a program through University of Washington, but it's only once a week that we meet up for class, and I have my own apartment, and I'm living up there, and I'm not doing anything. This is the point that I decide, okay, screw this whole sobriety thing. I don't want to be sober anymore. I'd been in pain from this last year of just kind of chaos, and I decided, okay, I'm going to break my sobriety, but I'm not going to drink again because that's not something that's good for me, my personality. If I'm going to do anything, I'm just going to start smoking again 
and see how that turns out. So I started smoking weed, and at first it starts off kind of innocent in the sense, well, it wasn't innocent because it was trying to cope with pain, not just party a little bit. And I was doing it only every now and again, and I decided at this point to go meet up with Andrew from Mexico, and he lives in Washington, and now I'm living in Washington, so I'll drive out to um, the city he lives in, and we'll hang out, and I think we're both smoking, so we'll party a little bit. That trip turned into two whole days of just smoking the most I ever have in my life, eating tons of edibles, going into random drug dealers' basements in Washington, and just buying, like, dabs from them and buying just other edibles and just the most amount of weed I've ever consumed. And um, I was so depressed because of the breakup. I was so angry. And up until that point, I'd only ever kind of felt, oh, I feel slow or funny with weed or everything's a little bit brighter and calmer. But after this high, I really... It it broke down who I was. It broke down my ego, and it broke down the way I view the world. Not necessarily in a pleasant, fun way. It felt like I was literally dying, and um, it felt like I was being possessed or something. So after that weekend, I drove back to Seattle, and I just try to get a grip on things because <laughs> things are so different. And stepping out of what you think is reality the first time is quite a shock. More more of a shock than when I left Danville to go to Mexico. Um, I'm not feeling much better. And at this point, it's like, okay, I have nothing really left to lose. I'm going to go go for music again. And I'm just in full swing. Still playing in Kilroy, but they're in California and I'm in Seattle. And I just decide... I this is what I want with my life and I'm going to go for it whatever it takes. So over the next I'd say 6 months I just start eating edibles as much as I can cuz I can't really smoke in my apartment and it rains too much in Seattle to step outside <laughs> for too long um to smoke outside at least. So I'm doing that and slowly but surely all these negative events start to pile up in my life up to the point like my dad my dad got cancer. Thank God he got surgery for it and he he's they cut it all out and he's doing better and I'll just tell you it's been I think it's been two years since that happened and he's still cancer free thank god and um but at that point it was just my world was very dark and the music I was writing started to reflect my my point of view on the world and I was angry at God if God existed. I was angry at Christians because I thought they were stupid. <laughs> I was angry just at anyone and I realized if I was consuming mass amounts of weed and then just letting whatever came out happen, the songs I was writing were better instead of trying to write something or trying to merge my influences or mesh my perspective if I just let my shadow do all my work. Um, I got this, and I started going down this path where I was like, wow, I wrote that, I don't even remember writing that, because I was blacked out on edibles, um, and I was doing that for a couple months, and then, and I started doing things more, I guess, intuitively or instinctually, 
and things started to line up. Um, things that were impossible coincidences would happen to me every single day. And it was just incredible. It was weird to look at life not in this small, I guess, secular, atheistic view that it's all random and nothing has any meaning. And I don't, I didn't jump to meaning or God or anything like that very fast. It was kind of, oh, stepping outside your ego, everything means the same, which is nothing. And you do have more perspective on things, but you also lose perspective on the things that are important, such as your family or love or small things with meaning. And I really, I was in that place. But when things started to line up, I started kind of going, okay, something strange here. There's more to this than I know, which is obvious. And now I look at it like there's an infinite amount of knowledge that I don't know. And I'm surprised I can comprehend any of this, any of this life. But I'm grateful for that. So one day I get this feeling and it's like I need to go back to California right now. This just gut feeling in it. It wasn't logical. It wasn't. It didn't make sense. But it was like, okay, I need to leave for whatever reason. Um. And I'd say I'd stayed up most of the night before getting high, and it was about one p.m. Um, in, at in Seattle, and I went, okay, just gonna pack everything in my car and drive. And it was like I need to make this trip all the way through. I can't stop. Um, so I I'm driving for hours and hours, and it's it's fun at first, and it's kind of this beautiful experience, and. I just I do feel like guided, I guess is the right word. And when I get to Oregon, Grants Pass, Oregon, I get stuck in this blizzard at the top of a mountain and I literally thought I was going to die. I'm in my two-wheeler truck sliding down the mountain in Grants Pass just stuck in a blizzard trying to follow the lights of a semi truck even though I couldn't see very far in front of me. And my car is kind of broken already, so I'm like I'm going to die. But I'm going to keep moving forward until I die. So let's just keep going. And about an hour, hour and a half passes. And thank God I make it through the storm. But it was it was scary. So I land in Grants Pass. And I, I park at a gas station. I get gas. I think I get in and out too. <laughs> and I go, okay, maybe it's smart to stay here. And I'll stay in a hotel. I text my dad. I said, I'm going to stay here. I kind of let them know what was happening. And I get back on the road and every street was a one-way street. And I took like five consecutive wrong turns and ended up back on the freeway with no exit in sight for a couple miles. And (laughs) my dumb ass is like, this is a sign. It's, it's what I need to do. I need to go back to California. So I just decide I'm going to drive through the night and, um, couple more hours go by, and I don't know why I have to go back to California, but I do, and I, I feel that, and I make it to Lake Shasta, or Shasta, I don't, it was one of the two towns, um, and I decide, okay, maybe I'll, I'll stay the night in a hotel, so I keep trying to find a hotel in Shasta, and the first hotel I find was this hotel, and its driveway was up a just this little incline 
but it was snowing so much that my truck couldn't get into the parking lot and I kept trying to go up the hill but I'd slide back down so I feel okay this isn't the right hotel I try another hotel and I go inside I end up buying a room for the night because it was late I'd been driving all day through Washington through Oregon and and now through a portion of California and I go to my room I get back in my car I have to drive around to the other side of the hotel because it's it's snowing and it's kind of a long walk and I get there and my key card doesn't work to the um, room I was assigned I went this is weird this is pretty strange go back to the front desk give the guy the key card I say hey this isn't working like can you give me another card please give me a card and I just had a bad feeling about that hotel it was this weird like eerie I shouldn't be there I need to leave whatever so I go back to the hotel I try again the second key card he gives me doesn't work at this point, I'm like, okay, fuck it. I've, I'm going by instinct or intuition or whatever it is. I feel like I need to be back in California. Um, go back to California. Or not go back to California. Get back to my car. I get back on the freeway. I'm driving down. I make it, I guess, I think it's like five hours back to Bay Area. And I get in at about 4 a.m., 5 a.m., don't really remember. I stand outside. I get out of my car, and I'm just dizzy. I'm tired. I'm like, I need to go to sleep. So I get back inside, uh, get inside my parents' house, lay down, fall asleep. I wake up the next morning, and first time I woke up, my mom was like, hey, nice to see you. I'm going to work. We'll catch up later. I lay back down. I'm out again. I, I was so tired. About an hour or two later, I wake up to a phone call. It's my friend Jack from a band that I was previously in. And he says, hey, dude, we're going down to this recording studio in San Mateo and to work with the producer that I was trying to get a hold of to do a record. I was like, wow, that's crazy. If I didn't make it back to um, California this morning, that wouldn't have happened. I guess this is why I needed to be here. I end up um, going to a place called Bagel Street in Danville before I drive down to San Mateo to meet meet all of them. So I'm in Bagel Street and I get my get an order, I get a bagel and I get a water. And the the guy rings me up at the cash register and right there on the register 666. I was like, "Oh, that's a weird that's a weird <laughs> like set of numbers to see right after this whole ordeal." I was kind of a little naive, but so I was like, that's strange, whatever. Drive down to San Mateo. I hang out for my friend's session, end up talking to the producer. We end up um, deciding that we'll work on my record in a month, and I, we make plans for that. And then I leave the studio, and I ended up driving back home to see my family for a little bit. But Then I go to Gilman Street, 94 Gilman, at, um, in Berkeley for a show uh, to see my friend's band. And... I watch their band and I'm like, I need a break. I'm not going to smoke tonight. I'm just so tired. I'm out of it. I end up smoking. I end up sleeping at my band's practice space after that. And waking up the next morning, smoking first thing in the morning, hanging out with friends all day. And then ending up at a Seven Dead's RV. And at this point in their career, the band's called Yes Devil, which I still love them. Still awesome musicians. But... You get an idea of where I'm at. I'm I. That's fine with me. And 
we end up getting high in the RV and just hanging out up all night again. And I am so tired at this point, so out of it. I wake up the next morning and realize, oh shit, I agreed to play my first acoustic show with my new band, Everything Is Meant To Be, um, today. And I'm late. <laughs> so I get a ride back over to my house, panic, get everything ready, and drive out to Redwood City to play this acoustic show. And go throughout my day. I perform with some other friends. It was a really fun show. But things just feel weird. Things are lining up super, super much so. I, it's, it's a weird process, weird. I don't know. I'm going throughout my day. And after the show is over, I decide, okay, I'm going to go back home and get some sleep. I didn't smoke this day. I needed a break. And I get home. And I'm laying in my bed. I'm basically, uh, I'm listening to the Beatles, I think. And all of a sudden, things just start to change. I start going kind of deeper and deeper inside my head. And I, it's that typical, like, stoner moment of, oh, I understand Whatever it is, the music, the movie, the book, the... But things are different, and I've kind of stepped into this place that I now know as the abyss. But back then, it was like, whoa, things are really weird, and whatever. Um, so I'm listening to Sgt. Pepper, and I'm reading about it. Uh, and I'm reading about the people on Sgt. Pepper. And one person catches my eye. Um, Alistair Crowley is one of the people on the album cover, and... They're talking about how this guy is a known occultist and someone who talks about ego and ego death and uh, just all this stuff I didn't really understand at that moment in my life. And I still, I can't, I'm not going to tell you now I have a full, firm grasp on all of it and occult science or occult whatever, but it was kind of, it was a trip to see this person on the Beatles and I was like, why is this person on the Beatles album cover? Um, and I started thinking, oh shit, maybe maybe what I'm doing, maybe all of this ego stuff, or it's what they did to get there. And maybe they killed their egos to be the best musicians they can, or be the greatest artists they can. And um, I start reading into it, and more about Crowley, and, um, and then I read about Jimmy Page and how he actually bought Crowley's house in um which was built on top of a burnt down church and all this stuff. And Jimmy Page is the guitarist from Led Zeppelin. And then I start reading about all this stuff about how Zeppelin sold their souls. And up until that point I I'm like, that shit is bullshit. Like can't be true. It's just they're talented people. And I'm a little naive to all of it. I still don't really um believe in God, believe in Higher power, it's still, oh, everything's just kind of connected and weird things are happening to me. But when I start reading about that and I start kind of going deeper down, I kind of have this moment and I'm like, oh, shit, I fucked up. If all of this stuff is real, so I pray and I go, God, if all of this stuff is real, I need your help and I need it right now. A minute or two later, I'm still scrolling on my phone. I wind up on Facebook. Um, and... This might sound crazy or you might not see the connection, but to me, it really was this sign and was this thing. I saw this trailer for, and I'm still doing everything instinctually or through my intuition or whatever it was. So things are lining up how they need to be, at least in that moment. 
and I watched this trailer for this uh, movie that um, it's about a boy who gets a magic app and gets everything he ever wants, but he screws it all up and loses everything that's important to him. His family, the girl, like, and he has to do what he can to get it back. He has to do whatever he can to get it back. And I'm watching this movie, and it's something that I don't know if anyone's ever actually seen. It didn't look like the nicest trailer, but it was something in that moment of, like, okay, that makes a little bit more sense. That kind of pertains to my situation right now. And I'm reading the comments, and all the comments are like, this is the oldest story in the book. How does this kid not know? It's just like Spider-Man. It's like every... um, With great power comes great responsibility. And I'm at this place thinking, I'm going to get everything I ever want. I'm finally going to be famous because things are lining up for me. Because I'm following my God and I'm doing what I want. And I'm manifesting stuff into my life. And um, I realize, like, maybe that's not what this is about. Maybe maybe there's a different way. And I'm, and I, at this point, I'm like, I'm going to get in the car and I'm just going to drive. So I drive to the side of the road um, about half an hour away. And I start playing music and I'm just thinking about all this. And I'm just so out of it, farther out of it than I've ever been. And um, I realize, like, I have a decision to make. I'm either going to keep going down doing exactly what I want to do and go that route of becoming the musician I want to be or I could put my uh, trust and faith in God and try something else, try a life that I get to be with my family and I get to be back on the ground and be on the side of good instead of the side of evil, as I saw it then. And so I looked up at the sky and I told God, I sell my soul to God. Which is a funny thing to say, but that's the place I was at at that moment in my life. So I ended up going back, uh, driving back home, getting some sleep, and or not getting some sleep. I at this point I think it's about six or seven in the morning, and um, I come home and my mom's um, to walk around the house, uh, getting ready to leave for work, and I I walk up to her and I go, Mom, I think. I'm bipolar or I'm having a manic episode or something. And that's really, I do think it was that, but it didn't invalidate everything that I went through up till that point. And, um, I, so I ended up going back to sleep and when I woke up, I made some decisions. I decided, okay, I'm going to get sober now. I'm going <laughs> to start getting normal sleep. I'm going to try to stop doing things that are bad for my health. So began kind of a about month, month and a half long journey of just trying to get my brain back, trying to get my feet back on the ground. And um, I did give my life to God, but it wasn't exactly Christianity or Christ at first. But as it progressed, I found myself really coming to terms with reaching out to Jesus and to God, and which is the same thing. But... Um, and God actually showing up in my life and helping me stay grounded or helping me in situations and flipping my intuition of things that I stopped making uh, choices that were instinctual to choices that were what I felt like was the right thing to do or what I felt like I was guided to do. And um, that alone just helped me stop making as many bad choices and helped me get back on the track that I needed to get back onto. And um, the number thing didn't stop where I started seeing 666 almost every single time I was going to 
make a, a choice that was going to lead me down the wrong path, such as if I wanted to smoke again or sleep with someone, I'd see 666. And um, it was this weird thing. And other numbers came into my life, too. It was 777 when I was going down the right path and 333 for support. And that's continued on. And this whole process happened in mid-2018, kind of towards the beginning. And it's still happening to this day. And um, my life's way better because of it. And what I'll say about that or about the numerology is, at first I was worried it, it was a sign that I was damned, that I went too far, that God wouldn't forgive me. And I was marked with the number of the beast or whatever. And... um. Or that it was an occult thing, and I couldn't stop it because it just kept happening. But the farther I went in my walk with God, I realized it was God's way of trying to pull me out of my old situation and trying to guide me where he wants me to go. Because it's not about the numbers. Numbers are just numbers. But it is about the spirit that's guiding you. And if you let the Holy Spirit guide you, and you really trust that and that gut feeling, you'll be in the right place at the right time to see the right thing. Still, all of this was a pretty big shock to the system, and um, getting used to this whole world where I ripped the Band-Aid off and I couldn't just pretend that God wasn't real or pretend that at least there wasn't something more happening out there. It was scary, and it was a lot to deal with, and I felt like I was going crazy. And sometimes I still do feel like I'm going crazy, but that's where faith comes in, and it comes in this sense that I'm okay, I'm walking a path of love and peace and clarity, and I might not understand what's going on, but that's all right as well. I can put my faith and trust into God to know that I'll go where I'm supposed to go, and that I'll be all right at the end of the day if I keep walking out His will and His plan, not mine. And from a secular perspective, you might think this story is crazy. You might just think I'm another insane person who has a platform because it's easy to speak in a microphone and not upload something to any podcasting service. That's totally fair. I still appreciate you listening if you made it this far. Um, but this is this has been my life so far, and it's been kind of crazy, but I'm very grateful for every second of it, every moment of it, and I'm very grateful to Christ, and I'm grateful that I can walk this out and figure it out. I don't have to know everything or be sure, and I can discover more about the path I'm walking or about God or about myself the farther I go and as long as I keep putting my faith and my trust there it's okay to have questions it's it's scary to me to think that I'm on here talking about God or preaching because that's not who I wanted to be growing up that's the farthest thing away from who I wanted to be I wanted to be this rock star who did what he wanted to do and made the music he wanted to do and didn't give a fuck about any of this shit and it's funny because I do give a fuck about this shit and I do care about God and I do care about other people and my family and my friends and strangers who I don't know that well and I just want to help people in any way that I can. And through Christ is how I found salvation and how I am still alive and functioning and not completely insane. I'm probably a little insane, but... That's all right. <laughs> so I really appreciate you taking the time to listen to this. I'm really happy I was able to open up about all this stuff because it's, it, it's scary sharing this stuff that's so personal and so 
I guess out there is the right word. But I'm happy that I could share it with you. And I hope this has any positive effect on you in any shape or form. Doesn't matter to me. Maybe if it made you laugh or smile. That's all I care about. Have a great rest of your day, everyone. And uh, we'll talk soon.